All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege, this honor of being here this morning as family. Thank you for giving us the word of God, the word of truth, Father, for we know that it is the truth that sets us free. Thank you for giving us moments in time like this that we can fellowship together, break bread, the very bread of life, that is the word of God. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be here with us this morning, that they know that we're with them in spirit and that we long to fellowship with them as well. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father, without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt against us. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Hold on, let me get rid of this thing. Someone was texting me. This past week, the Spirit impressed upon us the simple fact that we are slaves. And the average person hears that and says, well, I don't like the sound of that. I don't know what to tell you. That's what the Word of God tells us. We are slaves. Just because there's a negative connotation in America because of that isn't the issue. If you understand what the Bible says about slavery, biblical Slavery, not that awful stuff that was perpetrated on uh, blacks in America. None of that. That's not what's in view here at all. If you understand what the Bible has to say about slavery, and if you understand that we are slaves of our master, Jesus Christ, then you are overwhelmed with gratitude because being a slave of his is a privilege. It's an honor. It's an incredible thing that we just can't get enough of. Um, the pivotal passage, though, in Romans 6 included this verse up here on the board. Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, and that would be, well, I'm tempted, temptation, I give in to the temptation, it gives birth to sin, now I'm a slave to that thing, or in a grander sense, even before salvation, that's all you were, was a slave to sin, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. The end of that conceptual thread this past week was this capstone statement from the Apostle Peter up here on the board. 2 Peter 2.19 For whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. And some of you can immediately respond to that or um, relate to that. Because right now, as I speak, you're overwhelmed with something. I don't know what it is. Could be good or bad. I'm not sure. 
right? But if you live in this world, the temptation is typically bad. A lot of things to be overcome with, a lot of bad perspective, a lot of bad input that just grabs hold of you, right? It seizes you. And sometimes it's hard to shake it off. Bad feelings, bad emotions, confusion. I'm thinking about being an adolescent right now. How confusing it was somewhere around the eighth grade freshman year in that, I don't know, junior year up until like sophomore year. I don't know what goes on. Something with hormones and something with not understanding that, am I a boy or a man yet? All that kind of weird stuff and then all that social peer pressure and the the garbage that goes along with it that when you're old like me, you look back and go, well, that was a waste of time, you know? But in the moment, it's overwhelming. You're overcome by it. And so you're enslaved by it. But the same thing can happen with love. You can be overcome by love. And to that, you become its slave. And when it's godly love, that's a very good thing. Really good thing. And so the recurring principle on this topic is that perspective is everything. If you ever want to be delivered from any of that pain that I just alluded to in your own life, whatever, the, whatever it looks like, it typically is just a change of perspective. We gained a lot of this precious perspective from one of Jesus' last recorded talks with his disciples in John 16. And immediately, I love it, because Jesus begins with establishing the simple fact that the world hates him. It's unbelievable. The very manifestation of grace and truth and love comes into the world to seek and to save that which is lost to purchase people out of the slave market of sin that leads to death. And they hated him for it. It's unbelievable. They hated him for it. Why? Because he loved them enough to try to come save them? They hated him because what he did was upset the apple cart. People in general don't like to be set straight, even if it's the truth from God. They don't like it because it's offensive to their human sensibilities, as if God doesn't understand their plight. Go to John 16.1. So the, the first thing he says is, look, the world hates me, okay? And therefore, if you follow me, the world's going to hate you too. So just get over it, and let's just get that out of the way, Right? Let's just get that out of the way, right out of the gate. They hated me, they're going to hate you. And that's something, you know, as believers, we ought never forget. Because it can get confusing out there, I think. John 16, 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. In other words, you will be persecuted because of my namesake. They'll throw you out of their social circles, in other words. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think 
He is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because... Why? Because they have not known the Father nor me. So Jesus clearly gives the reason for the persecution of believers in this world. Clearly. Because they don't know the Father and they don't know me. I mean, if you know Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, you know him. And there's no one better. I I think about this last week's blog, right? My favorite person is Jesus. Once you know him, you, you can't get enough of him. Because they have not known the Father, nor me. And so this really sets that line in the sand, if you would, that Jesus clearly gives the reason for persecution of believers in this world. And this is amazingly encouraging because, let's face it, sometimes we can't reconcile while we, why, if, why we are being attacked. Sometimes we can't reconcile that. It's, it's too easy, I think, to forget what Jesus just said to our own souls. They're going to throw you out of their social circles. Why? Because they don't like Jesus, and therefore you represent Jesus, and therefore they don't like you. They're going to throw you out. They're going to persecute you. Why? Because they don't know me. They say they, don't, they, say they hate me. They, they, they just they hate me. Why? They, they don't know me. If they knew, Come on, how would you ever get to know Jesus Christ personally and hate him? That's literally an impossibility. Does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense if you know him already. The problem is a lot of people in this world, maybe the majority nowadays, I don't know, don't know him. Some haven't even met him. I think like Tammy's first grade class, one kid will say, oh, you know, I was talking about Jesus. And the other kid will go, who's Jesus? Some people don't even know who Jesus is anymore. Jesus. And so when I look at this passage, I think it's amazingly encouraging because, again, sometimes we can't reconcile why we're being attacked. We forget that fundamental truth, that the world hates him, therefore, if you follow the world, it hates you. Even if you're not saying the word Jesus, because you represent him, because you stand up for him, because you have integrity, because you have a certain constitution in Christ Jesus, you have a certain moral code even that reflects what's in the Bible, because of that, the world hates you. And so it's encouraging when I read this scripture. When you read this scripture, I hope, because it's a nice reminder of why. What Jesus taught was that being attacked in this world is inevitable. However, we are protected. That's the point. You will be attacked. Um, That's a guarantee. You will suffer. It's a guarantee. But the good news is, for we believers, we are protected. We have been given the power of the Spirit as believers, which echoes this up here on the board, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. 
How does Christ strengthen us? With his spirit, of course. Also known as the spirit of Christ. We were sent his spirit. The power. We are indwelled with the spirit of Christ. Therefore, we can do all things through him. Up here on the board, Romans 8, 9 to 10. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Another reason why unbelievers can't understand. That's what we just noted in John 16, uh, 3, I believe. Right? They just don't know me. They don't know God. They don't know the Father. The Spirit is the one who reveals him or them to us. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let's jump forward a little in our review of John 16 where Christ mentioned his Spirit. Go to verse 13. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He gives us truth, which is basically perspective. <clears throat> when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jump forward to verse 33. Sort of the victory stance, verse 33. We read all of this last time. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You see how he says it? You just, you're going to have tribulation. So that's usually a good litmus test. If you say you're a Christian and you have no tribulation in this world, I mean with the world, if the world loves you, you might have a problem. Because the Bible clearly states that in the world you will have tribulation with the world because the world doesn't like Christ and therefore it doesn't like you if you're a believer. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we've been receiving this particular vein of perspective ever since our Resurrection Sunday special message that focused on victory. Again, we are victorious in Christ Jesus, and that helps us with perspective as well. We take a little bit of a beat down here on earth, which is expected, but in the end, we are victorious. It's a foregone conclusion as a believer in Christ. And that should give us hope and perspective as well. So in John 16, uh, it's a wonderful synopsis of Jesus' victory over sin and death, which serves as incredible motivation for us in time. So that's what took us back to Proverbs 17. I mean, we're on part what, 70 now? Proverbs 17, wisdom. Let's go back there. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 6, where we spent a lot of time in to my opening remarks before prayer even, 
We're going to spend a little bit more this morning. Like I said then, you know, happy Mother's Day. Just remember that you mothers, you uh, women in the homes, you have a, a lot to think about. And uh, not every man is super-duper strong. Matter of fact, most men are pretty darn weak out of the gate because they've got to unlearn a lot of stuff. If you grew up uh, in the last 50 years, I mean, with all this feminism crap and everything else going on, like, it, it, being a, a man is, is almost like a crime. And so men have this burden on them, and it's, we have to unlearn these things from Holy Scripture. Holy Scripture has to set us free. And we need you women in our lives to stand up for us, to stand by us, to help us, because we're weak. This is hard going. Proverbs 17, 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. Now, we didn't get to finish our verse 6 highlight reel on Thursday before heading off to verse 7, so I want to do that. And quickly, I want to cover the principles borrowed from our previous messages dating all the way back to November of last year, part 40-something. I'm going to go quick because most of these we've seen. Here's some really valuable perspective up here on the board. On divine institutions, God is the one who created the institutions of marriage and family. Okay? God did. He also chose to make us in his own image. So it makes sense that since family is a big deal to God, then it's a big deal to us as well. Okay? That sort of sets the stage or the framework for the remainder of this service, this message. God is the one who created the institutions of marriage and family. He also chose to make us in his own image. So it makes sense that since family is a big deal to God, then it's a big deal to us, or it ought to be. That's the point. The net net of our studies has been this up here on the board, that God loves godly families. with a personal type love, not just an objective one even. God loves godly families because godly families are filled with presumably godly people which are children of God, which he has a certain special love for that's different than the kind of love he expresses even to unbelievers. And as we learned on Thursday, or as we reviewed on Thursday, a key ingredient to godly families is discipline. I know, it's the big D word, right? It was, oh, here we go again. I don't know what to say. A key ingredient to a godly family is discipline. Up here on the board. The value of discipline in the family. A family without discipline is a cursed family. I didn't say that's the Bible speaking. You want to mess your family up? Have zero discipline. Discipline 
is an absolute. It's not a choice. It's not a, well, that'd be nice. It's literally the infrastructure of the family structure. Does that make sense? Discipline is everything in a family. Without it, it the family's cursed. That's what we've learned. Up here on the board, a little deeper, the value of discipline in the family. The earlier you establish sound discipline in the family, the happier and more peaceful your family will be in the long run. The Spirit wants us to know what a godly family structure looks like so that we can model our own after it and be blessed. That's the whole point of these messages. It's not so Ed Collins can come up here and berate people. That's not my goal at all. If you feel berated, you've missed the point. My job is to teach the truth, and that's it. And the truth will set you free. How you receive it, how you take it, that's between you and the Lord. I certainly can't, you know, shoehorn it into your soul. God knows I try, but I can't. But this I know, the earlier you establish sound discipline in the family, the happier and more peaceful your family will be in the long run. The Spirit wants us to know what a godly family structure looks like so that we can model our own after it and be blessed by it. Now, here's the interesting thing. As this thought developed in our messages over several messages, right, um, we learn that discipline doesn't just keep our families oriented to righteousness. In other words, it doesn't just keep you know, us on the straight and narrow as a family, you know, going in the right direction doing the right things, thinking the right things, behaving the right way, you know, all this kind of stuff. It doesn't just do that, but it also does something transcendental, right? It does something bigger. It clears the way for love. It makes it so we can see God who is love, in the family even. We can see God's love permeating the family itself, and so we're blessed yet again. Up here on the board, teaching us love, God uses godly families to teach children about his love from a practical perspective, right? It's one thing to say, oh, I love you, I love you, little one, but I've got no time for you. Well, those are mixed signals, are they not? Someday when I retire from everything, I'm going to write a book. And it's going to be titled, The Messages We Send Our Children. Not what we do this with. The message we send our children. The message. What are we really saying? Because what comes out of our mouth seems very different than what comes out of our behavior. We say we love, but we really don't. So God uses godly families to teach children about his love from a practical perspective. The divine institutions of marriage and family are actually the platforms God uses to teach others about his love. Godly families aren't necessarily the end goal. Rather, they are the vehicle, the context for love to shine. That was that sort of, again, transcendental point that we learned when we covered this in more detail. And I was thinking about a good analogy, and it's, it's not the greatest analogy, but hopefully it helps you think about this point. 
Some of you remember the days of old before cable TV. Some of the younger people are like, I don't even know what that means. There's always been cable. When antennas were the only way to pick up TV stations. Remember that? It would be like some kind of like semi-sphere or hemisphere thing. It's a little bulbous looking thing with rabbit ears sticking out of it. Remember that thing? Right? And the real fancy ones had that little dial. And something would spin on the roof or something weird. <laughs> right? But TV antennas, they were fickle. For some awful reason, depending on, you know, cosmic circumstances, you'd have a really hard time getting certain channels to come in clearly. It seemed like a day-to-day -day thing. There seemed to be some magical angle to the rabbit ears on the top of the TV that would work, some three-dimensional orientation that would be, you know, just right. And the point here, though, is it took a lot of focused effort to receive the signal clearly. You really had to focus to receive the signal clearly without all the white noise and the static and the interference. Otherwise, you'd be stuck again with a fuzzy picture and noisy soundtrack. And sometimes it just wasn't worth it because you couldn't make sense of the actual program. But with a little persistence and tenacity and real focus, with a bit of applied discipline, you could actually receive the communication. In other words, as the analogy goes here, applied discipline clears the way for the important stuff. But it has to be applied. There is a discipline to it. There's a seeking it out. There's a Let's get rid of the white noise. Let's clear, let's clear the air. Let's be disciplined about this. In the case of our families, as I just stated, discipline doesn't just keep our families oriented to righteousness. It also clears the way for love. It's like tuning the family so that love can come in and we can understand and perceive the very language of it. Really hard to see love in a family that's completely undisciplined and unhinged. There's just too much drama. There's just too much dysfunction. There's just too much of a lot of things that detract from that, the beauty of just understanding love in the family. And Satan in the kingdom of darkness are masters at sowing that kind of interference in our families. It's constantly coming in, right? Constantly. And so we have to stay on top of it. That's the point. We have to be disciplined. Why? Again, up here on the board, teaching us love. God uses godly families to teach children about his love from a practical perspective. The divine institutions of marriage and family are actually the platforms God uses to teach others about his love. Godly families aren't necessarily the end goal. Rather, they are the vehicle, the context for love to shine. Now, I was reflecting about that, and we did so on Thursday as well. Love, then, it, really, it sets a high bar. 
Love sets a really high bar. There are certain expectations, certain fruit, certain types of godliness in a family. In other words, love sets a really high bar. Up here on the board, love sets a really high bar. And on marriage and family, we believers are held to a higher standard. Man does not set that bar. And that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we come to Bible class, to learn what does that bar look like. Because we know that the love that the world has for one another is not the kind of love that Christ has for us. There's a different kind of love on the street, one that's, you know, peddled in, oh, just awfulness out of bestseller books, television programs, movies, social media, um, that's not godly love. And when it comes to the marriage and the family, we cannot make the mistake of saying, well, this is how the world does it, so it's okay in my home. We cannot make that mistake of saying, this is how the world defines love in a home, so this is, this is the bar I'm going to keep. It's way down here. Well, God's bar is way up here. But this one's easier to meet, isn't it? This one's easier to make excuses for yourself with, isn't it? This one gives you a, an out, doesn't it? Isn't that what we continually give fathers, mothers in this world? We just give them excuses for being terrible parents. We just give them excuses. Oh, don't worry about it. Here's the bar. And meanwhile, we're held to this standard. Don't ever make that mistake. Of, well, this is how the world sees it, so this is how I'm going to do it. Never listen to the world on how to raise a family up because the world is faithless. Hold your thumb. Go to Romans 14, 23, part B. Just part B, second sentence. Romans 14, 23, part B. I almost put this on a slide, but I just wanted you to see it. I wanted to see it for yourselves. I wanted you to read it. Take it in through the eye gate, right? For yourselves. Romans 14, 23, part B says... For whoever does not proceed, or whatever does not proceed from faith is what? Sin. Well, the world is faithless. So guess what? It's sinful. And what did we learn at the very beginning of class? Sin leads to death. That's in Romans 6. Death is no fun. Never listen to the world on how to raise your family because the world is faithless, which means it abides in sin, which is tantamount to saying it's in the sphere of death. And any hope you had for peace and happiness and contentment is gone. Don't worry, the world will lie to you and tell you, no, 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 it's all in here, buddy. 
It's all right here. You come, you come with us, the unholy group. And it tempts us all in there once in a while, doesn't it? But we cannot buy this lie. The world is faithless, and therefore it is sinful. Go to Revelation 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8. But, Revelation 21.8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Anybody in here ever lie? Oh, I guess you're going to hell. Don't take it out of context. This is called habitual. This is someone who is overcome with this awfulness. This is a description of someone who abides, who has not been rescued, redeemed from the slave market of sin. And part of that is faithlessness. Again, the point is never listen to the world on how to raise your family up because the world is faithless. Furthermore, never, and now listen, I need you, okay, so I need you parents to listen up. It's going to get a little tough in here, okay? You need, anybody need a little napkin? I'm just saying. And just so you know, this all goes through this vessel first. And it's not one hour's worth, it's hours plural. So I'm not judging, I'm not condemning. Okay? Never invite the faithless into your home. What did I just say at the start of class? Who's invited to the 12th? Members of this congregation, that is it. I don't even want plus ones. Because I don't want faithlessness in my home. Not for that event. Does that make sense? Baby steps for me. Never invite the faithless into your home. And here's the whopper. You ready? You're like, well, I don't. Do you have the internet? Raise your hand if you do not have the internet. Okay. You've invited the faithless into your home at some point on that internet. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So don't take some legal stance and go, oh, so I, I'm, I'm good because I don't invite anybody into my home. I'm a recluse. No, you sit in front of your computer 20 hours a day instead. And you invite the world in that way. You invite the faithless in that way. And in many ways, it's worse because they're right in front of you the whole time. And the internet isn't just unidirectional anymore, is it? It's bidirectional. Now you've got this, you've got relationships on the internet forming on social media and chat rooms and 
I don't even know awful applications. I don't even want to think about that people can put on their traveling smartphones. How smart is that, right? The, the, the dumb phone. Where you can communicate with the faithless. With the detestable. You follow what I'm getting at? And so don't invite that in your home either. Parents, watch your children. The internet is an even bigger sewer pipe than the television because it's social, it's bi-directional, and it's stickier. If you're not monitoring or controlling your kids' access to the internet, you're not doing your job. It's that simple. Kids are way, not kind of, not a little, way too vulnerable and way too weak to make sound decisions on their own. They might tell you differently. They might think they're a know-it-all. But we've all been there, haven't we? They're too weak. And that's why God has put them in your charge. And that's why we have points like this on the board. Men, protect your family. Like, literally. Don't just talk a big game. Like, literally, protect your family. Don't allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. That includes the Internet. Satan's not dumb. But it also, obviously, includes the physical aspects of bringing people into your home. Do not allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. Be vigilant on guard, ready to ward off the wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, kids get weak and confused. And there are a lot of perverts in this world that prey on kids like that because they're weak and confused. And if mommy and daddy aren't present, guess what happens? They get sucked in. It's how young, confused people end up in cults. They just want to belong because they miss something in the home. Remember, attacks often come from where you least expect it. Remember David's lesson in Psalm 55, 12 to 14. He said, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. So the Spirit made a point on that as well. Be careful who you invite. Be careful who you call friend. Disciplined, loving families enjoy the fruit of godliness for generations. And here's the one that I think drives me the most berserk, and this is just my opinion. Maybe it's not even right to say it, but I'm going to say it because I think it's biblical as well. There's a real respect for elders. Two. A real respect for... What happened? What happened? Honest to goodness. Sometimes my own kids talk to me sometimes, and I feel like backhanding them. Because they talk to me like I'm a peer. I'm not your peer. I'm your father. I'm not asking for respect. I demand it. And if you don't give it to me, you can get the hell out of my house too. I'm not saying this has happened. Some people are like, do I really want to go on the 12th? <laughs> sounds awful. It's not like that. I'm just giving you like, in my, I love my kids and they're not doing this right now. To, you know, not in every degree. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like, well, I'm, trying to, I'm trying not to make it about you. I'm trying to say, look, we're all in this thing together and something's happening with our children 
that the world is telling them, you don't need to respect your elders. They're just like everybody else. They're not. They're older than you. They deserve your respect. God says you give them your respect. They're not your peers. You don't talk to them like peers. You don't disrespect them like peers. Do you follow what I'm getting at? You don't engage with them as if they're your buddies or your friends. That's disrespectful. Some of you kids, some of you, and I say kids, I say anybody under the age of 30 maybe, needs to remember that. Respect your elders. Anyways, there's a real essence of authority orientation in a godly family. It's one of the things that really stands out as a proof point of what's going on behind the scenes. In other words, a disciplined family reeks of authority orientation. doesn't take long to realize or to see a godly family reeks of authority orientation. And authority-oriented families are devoid of many of the debilitating problems most American families face today. Nobody's perfect, but you get the point. Authority-oriented families are devoid of many of the debilitating problems most American families face today. So I gave this some thought, and the Spirit refused to let me go to verse 7 in Proverbs 16 today. Because I said, I want you to give them some stuff to chew on. On Mother's Day. Here's some food for thought on anti-authority-oriented fruit. In other words, bad fruit up here on the board. Undisciplined, anti-authority-oriented families. This is what is typical. Disrespectful children. Anybody, do I get an amen for that one? Right? Undisciplined, anti-authority-oriented families end up producing disrespectful children. And I don't mean just teens, but before long, after as adult children. Right? I don't mean just teenagers that everybody likes to poke fun at. Oh, look at them. They must be in the eighth grade or something, right? Or in that area of confusion. I mean before and after. I mean, look at some of the way some, some children treat their parents who are like 80. Disrespectful children. Divorce, sadly. Divorce. Arguably the most common cause is confusion, or you might call it dysphoria even, regarding roles. It's really hard to keep the structure of a family if the man and the woman are at odds because the woman refuses to submit and the man refuses to love. It's really hard. That, it won't work. You see, it won't work. And so there's a lot of divorce as a result. And then it percolates up. Fractured community and country even. What goes on in the family propagates to larger groups. It just makes sense. It's like Lego blocks. The little block is the family unit put a bunch of family units together and they're all dysfunctional, what do you get as a country, as a community? You don't have any hope. The, the, the brick and mortar is bad. 
You expect to build a bigger building and expect that to be healthier? No, matter of fact, it's probably going to be more unhealthy because now you've got a bunch of dysfunctional Lego blocks. Does that make sense? And that's what the Spirit wants us to chew on. He's like, just look around. Just be, don't do it with any condemnation because some of you are like, geez, man, I fit in most of these things. Then learn. Get out of your own way. This isn't about condemnation. This is about you being humble, shaking it off, saying, it's true. I confess, Lord. I understand what's going on. I understand this. Maybe it's in retrospect. Maybe you can't change it. Maybe you have been divorced. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord, right? That's whatever. And maybe you look back on it and go, I see it now. I didn't see it then because I didn't even have Christ, maybe. I don't know. But I see all this stuff now, and I can see how it would add up. So, I don't know about you, but I'm a very firm believer that the reason for the decline of our own nation is because of the decline of the family. It's interesting because everybody wants to point fingers at this or that reason. And people spend, I don't know, upwards of eight years in college to get their PhDs. Learning of new ways to band-aid the situation. To no avail. But the simple truth is that it's the decline of the family that is the primary root cause. And just to be fair, there's never one variable. It's not just the decline of the family. That is a major component. But it's not just that. There are lots of variables going on, but a primary root cause is the decline of family relative to the decline of our nation. So I wanted to take a moment now to give you some statistics okay, on the effects of ungodliness in families. Okay? I told you it was going to be a tough lift this morning. But if we're not willing to accept the truth, then how are, we, how are we even remotely claiming that we're interested or we're seeking it or that we want to be healed by it? If you don't know, if you don't know there's something wrong, then how do you repent from it? And just as a side note, as a part of theology proper, the divine institutions of marriage and family apply to both unbelievers and believers. These institutions are not unique, even, to believers only. We are held to a higher standard, obviously, but God ordained family and marriage for everyone. Okay? And so whenever ungodliness permeates a family, whenever discipline flies the coop, and therefore love is missing, the thing that unifies it all, all hell breaks loose. And you can have your own anecdotes and, you know, say, oh, I knew this family or my own family or I know that family or, you know, that's going through this even right now. And you can have all your anecdotal data, but there's just something about numbers. There's just something about numbers. So I'm just going to give you a bunch of numbers. 
I'm going to give you statistics. And I want you to keep in your mind what the Spirit just taught about on families. Up here on the board, from fathers.com, the extent of fatherlessness. More than 20 million children live in a home without the physical presence of a father. Millions more have dads who are physically present but emotionally absent. If it were classified as a disease, fatherlessness would be an epidemic worthy of attention as a national emergency. Amen. It's sad, breaks my heart, but can we at least be honest? Can we at least look at the truth? And again, there's no condemnation here. There's no condemnation here. We're just trying to look at the facts for what they are. If it were classified as a disease, fatherlessness would be an epidemic worthy of attention as a national emergency. So I want to give you some more statistics now, since numbers don't lie, only people do. Numbers are inherently honest. Only people manipulate them dishonestly. And as I read these statistics, I want you to remember the statement on the board as well. Millions more have dads who are physically present but emotionally absent. Okay? Emotionally absent. So if you're a dad, it isn't enough just to be in the home. You have to be present in the home. Never enough for you to push all the responsibility of raising your children on your wife either. That's most definitely not being present. And your kids can and will see it and translate it for themselves. Okay, here are some statistics for you to chew on. These are heartbreaking. But numbers don't lie. Up here on the board, the fatherless generation.wordpress.com. These are their statistics. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, five times the national average. Five times the national average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 32 times the national average. Fathers, you getting the hint yet? Two statistics. We're just getting warmed up. Two alone. Eighty-five percent of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. Twenty times the average. Think about that. Eighty-five. Eighty-five out of a hundred who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's unbelievable. It's almost a shoe-in. That's just our first three points. Keep in mind what the Spirit's saying this morning and the privilege you have of being a father or a wife who supports that man 
who might be struggling, who might be weak, really weak, and he needs you to support him so that his children, your children, don't become statistics like this. Next. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the average. Father Factor in Education says fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school. Next. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved, remember you can be in the house and not be involved, just saying, are more likely to get A's in school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. Next, 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes, 10 times the average. 75%, that's three out of four. Father factor in drug and alcohol abuse. Researchers at Columbia University found that children living in two-parent households with a poor relationship with their father are 68% more likely to smoke, drink, or use drugs compared to all teens in two-parent households. Are you getting the gist yet? Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Next. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes, nine times the average. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average. That's almost a given, you know? Like, it's almost a given. You could walk into any prison and grab 85 out of 100 people, and they were fatherless homes. That's unbelievable. Do you, do you have to be, you'd have to be thick not to see the correlation. Not to, not to see the impact of being a good dad. Father factor in crime, a study of 109 juvenile offenders indicated that family structure significantly predicts delinquency. Adolescents, particularly boys, in single-parent families are or were at high risk of status, property, and person delinquencies. Next, daughters in single-parent homes without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. This is unbelievable. 711% more likely to have children as teenagers. That's not even close. 164% more likely to have premarital birth. 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. 
These are astronomical numbers. These are not blips. These are not rounding errors. These are astronomical numbers. You'd have to be intent on ignoring it to deny the truth of it. Is that fair? Next. Children with involved, loving fathers are significantly more likely to do well in school, have healthy self-esteem, exhibit empathy and pro-social behavior, and avoid high-risk behaviors such as drug use, truancy, and criminal activity compared to children who have uninvolved fathers. Next, children who live absent their biological fathers are on average at least two to three times more likely to be poor, to use drugs, to experience educational, health, emotional, and behavioral problems, to be victims of child abuse, and to engage in criminal behavior than their peers who live with their married, biological, or adoptive parents. And then finally, next, studies on parent-child relationships and child well-being show that father love is an important factor in predicting the social, emotional, and cognitive development and functioning of children and young adults. There were many more statistics than that. Honest to goodness. That's just a nice overview of what's going on in our own country. Because the family structure has been annihilated. Because men have either willingly or unwillingly been castrated, figuratively speaking, in their families. This is what it produces. Why do we not hear about these statistics? Why does it take a Sunday morning at a Bible church to get a dose of this stuff? You tell me. Sobering, sobering statistics. Again, here's the instigating slide up here on the board. Undisciplined, anti-authority oriented families produce disrespectful children, divorce, fractured community, country, you name it. We just saw a bunch of statistics. Is it fair to say that the statistics we just digested are harrowing? Yeah, it's awful. But it's true. Is it fair to say that God's good intentions for marriage and family, for both unbelievers and believers, has been attacked? Is it fair to see the connection here, up here on the board, Discipline in the family is an expression of love. Go to Hebrews 12, 5. Hebrews 12, verse 5. Discipline in the family is an expression of love. Listen, if you love your kids, do you want them to be any one of those statistics? Then discipline them. And it starts with you at the top. Discipline. made poor Benny cry. He's like, I don't want discipline. 
I'm only one. Papa, please. <laughs> Hebrews 12.5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. 12.6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That in the most extreme sense means you're not even saved because God disciplines those that are his own. And what's the message you send your own kids if you don't discipline them? What, you'd prefer they weren't your own? Verse 9, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. That we may share his holiness. You mean there's an end result in view? Yeah. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Ah. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, up here on the board. Discipline in the family is an expression of love. Did we not just read that? God disciplines who? Those he loves. He's our model. We love our children. Guess what we do? We discipline them. Why? For the sake of holiness. Why? So that they too can be blessed. So that they're not a statistic. So that they're not a statistic. If you want your children to obey you and be blessed as a result, then show them that you love them. Don't just do this. Show them. Apply discipline in the home, starting with yourself, of course, men. Children are really good at modeling themselves after their fathers. Start with yourself then. Show your children. What does discipline look like? Give them a model to look up to. Give them something to look to. Give them an example. Otherwise, you're teaching them something else. Then they become just a statistic. 
Well, my dad did it this way, so I guess I'll do it this way. Why? Up here on the board. The value of family. Disciplined, well-adjusted children from godly homes make for great subordinates because authority orientation was instilled in them at an early age, and they are blessed for it and become blessings for others, especially those in authority. And the corollary up here on the board, undisciplined, maladjusted children from ungodly homes make for horrible subordinates because authority orientation was never instilled in them, and they are cursed for it and become a cursing for others, especially those in authority. We ended on Thursday with this up here on the board. Godliness in families pays dividends for life. I'll just go a little bit more and then we've got to close. Godliness in families pays dividends for life. Up here on the board, stated differently, there's an intrinsic goodness that blankets a godly family that is unmistakably a blessing from God designed to encourage such families to persist in the faith. There's an intrinsic goodness that blankets a godly family that is unmistakably a blessing from God designed to encourage such families to persist in the faith. And all the Spirit's saying there is, watch what happens when you take that leap of faith, fathers, mothers, when you actually enforce discipline in the family. Watch what happens. Don't listen to the kids because they're going to buck you every step of the way. And they're dumb. They're like dumb little sheep. Even though they think they're smart. Even they think they know it all. Even though they think you don't understand their problems. They're dumb. You don't take their advice. You're not, they're not your peers. They're not your little buddies. Their job is to orient. And if they don't like it, too bad. Too bad. God didn't put them in charge. Amen? God put you in charge. Too bad, little children. Do I need to say it some more? I get so angry with this stuff. I'm like bursting. Tammy's laughing because she knows it's true. I cannot stand, my least favorite thing almost on the planet is disrespect. I hate it so bad, I feel like punching people in the throat. I hate it so bad. Disrespect, I mean, is there anything worse? I mean, it's a godly thing, right? The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. The respect of God. To be disrespectful is to be an idiot. Does that make sense? That's where this comes from. It's not just my personal, like, what's wrong with this dude? This is biblical. This is the way God designed families. This is the way he designed his own family. Hey, kids, listen. You don't have a choice. You got a problem with the way God set things up? Take it to God. And if you're too big of a coward, I don't know what to tell you. Probably get sucked into the world somehow. See how that ends for you when you become a statistic. Because numbers don't lie. 
You follow what I'm getting at, folks? There's an intrinsic goodness to godliness in families. That's what the Spirit's been telling us. So look for it. Develop it. Strive it. Instill it. And start with yourselves, men. Start with yourselves. Be the model you're supposed to be. Love your wives. Love your children. Discipline your children because that literally sends the message that you love them. Laziness, being an absentee father, sends the exact opposite signal. The exact opposite message. I don't love you enough to lay down my life for you, so I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to drag your little... I'm not going to enforce discipline in my house because, I don't know, I'm just too lazy. I'm too self-absorbed. I'm too self-involved. I don't really love you enough, to be honest with you, to be that miserable in my own life. What's the message? Think about that stuff. Think about it. There's an intrinsic goodness that blankets a godly family that is unmistakably a blessing from God, designed to encourage such families to persist in the faith. What's he saying? Try it out. Take a step in that direction. See what happens. I, will, I guarantee you, you're going to get kicked back, but take it anyways. Keep going with it. Persist with it. And even if your children leave the house saying they cannot stand you, so be it. You did your job. You did your job, and you're responsible to God to do your job. Amen? All right. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us truth that sets us free. Thank you for just setting the record straight, Father. Thank you for allowing us to see such numbers of the effects of fatherlessness in our own country, Father. Thank you for tying it back to the family, even. Of course, families are built of individuals, Father. And so thank you for building up the individuals that comprise families, that comprise our nation, Father, so that we might bring glory to you in time. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.